Good afternoon, Troopadors, and welcome to Season 3, Episode... something. That's not a very professional way to start a podcast. Uh, episode something. We can find out what episode number it is. Hold on. Episode 6. Season 3, Episode 6. And this is a very special one. It's the legendary John Robb who many used to be familiar with his music in the membranes, Goldblade. Many used to be familiar with his journalism, Louder Than War, which is a great website for uh, music journalism. Probably the best. The best to do it right now. And also his books, the newest of which is called The Art of Darkness, The History of Goth, and it's just about the history of gothic music, where it came from, where it's going, and all the inspirational characters along the way. And I thought we'd just release this one because John Robb will be playing uh, Glasgow tomorrow at Mono. So this is the 11th of April. So if you're listening to this tonight or tomorrow, the 12th of April, you can see him at Mono being int- interviewed by Stuart Braithwaite of Mogwai fame. And check his website and his Instagram for a list of other dates. He's doing a a speaking tour going all around the UK. And you're in for a treat because he's a very entertaining guy. We did speak to him way back in the middle of lockdown where he took a tour around Manchester. And then I tried to speak to him again a couple of weeks ago and there there was a technical issue. But we managed to get hold of him a few days back and he was actually walking around Manchester again. There was a little bit of a delay sometimes, so apologies if at any point it sounds like I'm interrupting John Rob. I'm certainly not. It just sounds like that because the there's a delay, and I think he's finished and he's not finished. That happens once or twice. But Murphamish, the legend Murphamish, has mastered and mixed it, so I think it'll be fine. It should sound absolutely spiffing, and you should enjoy the show. He's a, a great guy to talk to, Gets so much musical knowledge, a musical encyclopedia, a walking, talking encyclopedia of music knowledge. So check out the book, go and catch his live tour if you can. And also, I just want to give a wee shout out to Building a Spring on April the 28th. That's Friday, April the 28th at Room 2. We've got all the way from Cardiff Doghouse. Is going to be playing his first Scottish date in about seven years. It's incredible. i seen the solo show he's doing at Boomtown last year. It's an audio-visual experience at Room 2 with support from DOS, The Twistets, and Gasp. It is the best bill of the year that I've seen so far. It's going to be a good night. And, uh, yes, yeah, I think tickets are £10 just now on Skiddle. So get Skidado on to Skiddle and get your tickets. There's also a club anyway and after party as well to keep you dancing to the wee hours. And yeah, I just thought I'd give a wee shout out to that. Um, finally, um, I wanted to just give a wee shout out to um, a petition that's quite close to my heart. And I'll put the info in the, in the bio or whatever it is. But it's just basically a petition to stop people putting barbecue sauce and everything. I mean, I don't hate barbecue sauce, but it feels like a lot of the barbecue sauce these days is unnecessary and sometimes does more than harm than good to the thing that I'm eating. What if I was allergic to it? I mean, I'm not. But we live in a time where even KP Nuts has a may-contain nuts warning. So perhaps a, this barbecue sauce may ruin your burger warning would be decent. We just don't... We live in a world where we don't... If, you know, we live in a world where we even know how much gluten is on the moon. But we have no idea if or when barbecue sauce will strike and make an appearance and ruin your dinner. Or not even ruin your dinner, just make it slightly worse. So please sign the petition for clearer controls, better signposts, make burgers great again. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show today with John Robb. There is um, links in the bio to the petition. There's links in the bio to buy John Robb's new book. 
There is links in the bio to sign up to Patreon. This is this show is only possible because of the Patrons at patreon.com forward slash radio. So for £3 a month, you can support what we do and get some bonus content, discounts, freebies, and all that good stuff. And if you want more podcasts, if these audio podcasts are, you don't think are regular enough for you, then please check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash radio. Or our website, you call that.com, because we're doing a whole host of things on various platforms, and it's not just audio podcasts we do these days. So, but with that being said, it's audio podcast time. I know that you people prefer an audio podcast. This one is dedicated to you. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. It is the brilliant John Robb. Enjoy. You call that radio. <laughs> We are live right now with the legendary John Robb. People are excited. We've got Mark's in the house. Who's here? Bring it on. Ali's in the house. I've relocated to my bed with a bottle of wine to stay warm. Nice one, Ali. Thank you very much, John, for joining us. The last time I spoke to you, you were taking us on a tour <laughs> around Manchester, and it looks like we may be getting some more of the same. Yeah, in a very absolutely darkly gothic cobbled kind of part of town yeah so i'm <laughs> kind of on theme look at that <laughs> yeah amazing the sort of twinkling lights of the new mansion in the background yeah yeah amazing mate we are we're live to celebrate the launch of a new book that john has written it is called the history of goth the art of darkness and what what made you want to write this book i don't think um goth was ever taken that seriously by, by, you know, the story of post-punk. You know, I think the people into that kind of music obviously took it seriously. But when you see a documentary about that period or post-punk, all those bands get missed out with it. The band like Bauhaus, to me, one of the greatest art rock bands this country's ever produced, they get dismissed in about one sentence, don't they? People go, oh, they just covered a David Bowie song, that's it. But when you listen to something like Bella Goes Is Dead, it's like nine minutes of completely imaginative, brilliant, groundbreaking music. And I think that needs to be celebrated. And it needs to have the context put in it as well, you know. The writing process. When do you know the book is finished? I think there's a famous saying, I can't remember who initially said it. There's no such thing as a, a finished song, it's abandoned. Is, how does that feel about the book? Do you, do you feel like it's finished or are you... I, I think that phrase is very true because somebody like me makes music as well. I know that thing. There's a cut-off point. You can't carry on. You have to stop when it's finished. I mean, so so even now I've written the whole book and they keep thinking, oh yeah, I should have put that in. Oh God, I hope I haven't missed that out because <laughs> it's it's a pretty thorough book. It's quarter of a million words. There's a lot of stuff in there, but in a way, the more stuff you put in, it kind of leaves it open for the stuff you miss out, doesn't it? So it's but so Peter bound to say. Well, what about what about this band that was going in 1987? You haven't mentioned them, and, I'm not, and normally you would kind of say, "Oh, well, you know, there's plenty of other stuff in there." But I'm one of those people who go, "Oh, God, I missed it out." It would do my head in for ages because I, I like to tell the whole story. I don't think you could do a story, a music book now. I don't think it could be a flimsy book because it has to. Be, you know, you can get everything on Wikipedia if you want. I think you have to have the whole story in there. But of course, you can't get the whole story, but you get as close as it as you can. So a book, like a book like the one I've written, is a mixture of personal experience describing those kind of goth clubs, which are very key to the culture, in the late 70s, early 80s, what it was actually like to be in and what they smelt like, felt like, you know, the way everybody used to go in the girls' toilets because they they're the only ones that had mirrors in them. And the girls go in the boys' toilets to do their hair. You know, that, all that kind of thing that went on in those kind of clubs. But you also have, to, have, to, have the facts and the history as well because the book starts with the fall of Rome. And then runs through all the romantic poets, people like Lord Byron. Because I think that's all part of the story. I think, in a way, every generation deals with the blues, with the technology that's at hand. So whether it was writing poetry in 1850 or 1820, or it's doing electric rock and roll in the post-punk period, or being an Instagram influencer now, who put pictures up dressed in goth clothes with no music, they're all equally valid ways of dealing with the, the attraction and the embrace of melancholy. If we go right back to the, where, where did goth begin, in your opinion? Where did it all begin? The first band to be called a goth band or a gothic band was The Doors, when they played um, their first gig in New York. 
they were reviewed by a, a reviewer who said the doors, uh, I can't remember the exact quote now, but he said that they sound like they have a gothic overtone to their music. And the other quote that they had in that review, which I actually really love, is the doors reflect America's fascination with violence back at itself, which is such a great quote. And then there's a gap after that. Uh, the next band to be sort of described as gothic is, is, is almost within weeks of each other was Joy Division and Susie and the Banshees in their reviews in the music press. So then it's, it was kind of a phrase that was kicking around for a bit. But, but then it was, we used to go to alternative clubs. I'm, I'm sure your listeners remember this. They weren't called goth clubs. They were like alternative clubs where they played like the Banshees, Joy Division, uh, you know, Bauhaus when it came out. And in a way, uh, goth was a retrospective term for a scene that was already there. So, uh, you know, people already had the style, the look, the kind of ideology um, and, the, and the soundtrack. But it was called alternative music. So groups like The Fall were in there, or The Cramps. I mean, the, I've, I've written about The Cramps in the book. The Cramps were never a goth band, but they're massively popular in goth clubs. So for the goths, they were totally embraced. You know, you could dance to The Cramps. And they had that kind of, there was a darkness of Cramps, but also a dark sense of humour, which is kind of very goth as well. Because goth was never loads of people moping around, being really miserable. I mean, there was, there was yes, there was definitely a strain of melancholy to it. But it's also a sense of humour to it as well. It's, it was fun, wasn't it, going to those clubs? You know, whenever everyone looked sexy and cool and stylish and, um, and, and pretty far out, like all the great pop cultures and, and great pop music should be. And what was, what was your first introduction to it? I mean, um, what, when do you remember being aware that this, the scene was cha- there was a, a scene happening in front of you? I think it's... A, it's small increments, isn't it? I mean, I think I think one record that's been really overlooked over the years is Susie and the Banshees' first album. I think it's an incredible record, you know, sonically, the sound of it. You know, Kenny Morris's drums using all the toms, that becomes a goth signifier. John uh, John McKay's guitar, John McKay's guitar, uh, that sort of glass sound that he had, which is before Keith Levine, you know, he had that sound first. And just the, the uh, atmosphere of it as well, the, the starkness of it, the minimalism of it, the sound of it, everything about it, and the way the band looks as well. I mean, they were, I mean, this is like the 77, 78, you know, this is before there was a goth scene. But they're already creating the template, and early Adam and the Ants is in there as well. I think it's interesting, Adam, isn't it? Because in a way, the, the early Ants, because it was such a heavy-duty, theatrical kind of thing, they, they, they were definitely planting the ideas of goth. And then when Kings of Wild Frontier was number one for 13 weeks, it kind of brought a whole new generation of uh, young teenagers into the idea that pop music could be a bit more freaky. And that became the next generation of goth. So Adam's kind of like both ends of it, really. He's there at the beginning, and then he's kind of opened the floodgates to the next part. And then, then you get right, really, really interesting journeys like The Cure and Joy Division as well. So the, well, Joy Division's first album and The Cure's second, third albums, they were called raincoat bands, weren't they? I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember that. So because they wore long raincoats and because it was cold and miserable all the time, and that was raincoat music. So, because Robert Smith used to wear that green mat for like years, didn't he? So, and then when they did pornography, I think in a weird way that was them embracing golf because golf was kind of floating out of the clubs. There, they were going to the Batcave at the time, and, and the Batcave wasn't the first golf club. It's the Phono and Lee's actually the first golf club, but all the pop stars went to the uh, Batcave. So, I think those ideas, and also Robert Smith being in the Banshees for that period, they kind it kind of infused them with new ideas. So it's sort of became their own take on this kind of culture that was coming through. But it, was, it wasn't called goth. And then, so for me, all that stuff's floating around. And then there's other bands coming in, like Southern Death Cult or Early Cramps, you know, kind of freaky stuff. Because I think coming out of punk, you were trying to get your hit, the freaky, freakishness. The Pistols are amazing because John Lydon looked like an alien. You've never seen anybody look like him. It's hard, it's, it's hard to remember this now. But at the time, you never saw anybody who just looked as amazing as him. You know, so he didn't even look real. And you're trying to get the next hit of that. Like, what's the next thing that's so freaky? You could you could get into it as well, you know. And it's, so it's like a, a race for freakishness, wasn't it? And that was one of the great things about goth, because he kept that freaky element of punk, you know, that dressed up, that sartorial uh, thing that punk had, but also musically as well, that experimentalism and that playing with sound. And I think another really important thing, which I write about in the book, is that goth was really influenced by black music, you know, not not just black in nature and dark in nature, but actually black music like disco, funk and dub. So there's a lot of dub sort of influence in funk, in, in, in goth, you know, playing the sense of space. And also uh, disco and, and funk, like Killing Joke, you know, 
or Bauhaus, you could dance to the records. I mean, all successful goth groups, they had to be good on the dance floor because the clubs, there never been that many clubs in the youth culture before. Every, every beaten up town in Britain had a goth club. Whereas before that, you have to go to Bowie Roxy clubs. And not mo most places didn't have a Bowie Roxy club. But most places had a goth club and it was about the dance floor. It was really important. Was there any band, was there, was there any surprises to you when you're, because obviously you were in the thick of it, you were right involved in the music scene. Was there, obviously you, you're doing your research for the book. Was there any bands that either you'd either not heard of before or you'd just forgotten about or you hadn't considered goth until you really researched it and thought about it? I think when you say consider goth, it's interesting because no band, like I said before, considers itself goth, you know, so... All the classic goth bands are great pains to tell you they're not the goth bands. But is there anything that come under your, your label? Um, well, I knew, I knew all the bands anyway. I mean, I actually know most of the bands. But, um, I mean, musically, I'd heard them all. But I suppose going out into Europe, there was stuff I'd not heard of. I, I, I wasn't aware there were so many bands in France that did that drum machine thing. So, obviously, I knew about Metal Urbane and uh, Warren Joe and a couple of other bands. I thought they were like uh, an anomaly, but it turned out there's like hundreds of bands in France using drum machines in the 80s doing that, what they would call cold wave, which is like a sort of a cousin of goth in a sense. And then sort of going deeper into Europe, you know, the Balkans had a whole scene of bands that sound a bit like Killing Joke in it. And so yeah, East Europe had these bands sort of underneath, sort of behind the Iron Curtain, sort of doing their versions of goth as well, you know, or, or kind of the darker end of post-punk. I mean... I suppose the way I would look at goth is kind of the darker in the post-punk. I mean, other people have different versions. So the groups I have a cover in the book, the main chapters on the main bands, are the bands you would hear played in those clubs. And, you know, so the, the book starts with, I take you into a goth club, you know, describing that out in a goth club. And then, then the, the book is about all the main bands you would hear in that club. And so, so when I was, I was thinking that thing about, you know, Sister Mercy, Andrew Eldridge is a great pain to point out it's not a goth band. But for the audience, he very much is a goth band. And I think at the end, you just the audience decides what you are. You could be anything you want. And as a musician, you could think you're the one thing, but the audience thinks you're another. And I think the audience gets to uh, decide. <laughs> that's, that's a, a great way of looking at it. There's actually a couple of people mentioning, before you mentioned that, um, Epi said that I asked everyone who's their, who's their favourite, inverted commas, gothic band. Mm -hmm. And uh, Epi Moose says, Sisters of Mercy. Um, Christopher is saying, I would say Sex Pistols were a bit goth. I would say Pillar. I think the, I mean, obviously, without the Pistols, none of this would have happened. You know, the Pistols were the game changers. You know, they were the revolution. That's when everything started. Out of that little, um, you know, the Big Bang, all these other little, uh, little sonic universes appeared. The Pistols started it, you know. And I think that, um, I th I th you know, what John Lydon was then, Johnny Rotten, at that time, you know, that, that, the freakishness of them, and also that um, as the four ones sang the white crap that answers back, I thought it's such a great line. And that thing, um, and also embracing really artful ideas and making them popular so you, we could all understand them it does feed into goth. But I think the atmosphere and sort of dark claustrophobia of Pill, first and second albums, I think that feeds into goth, you know. And I did write about that a bit in the book. You know, Metal Box is influential in goth, you know. Just when you mentioned about the. Um there's a scene in the Balkans that sounded the, the Killing Joke. Do you think that they were um, actually inspired by Killing Joke? Actually, I'm wearing my Space Mountain T-shirt that I got from youth. <laughs> I was, I've, I've visited Space Mountain last year. Have you visited it? Oh, it looks, I'm going to go sometime. It looks great. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm definitely going the next one. It was, it, was a, it was a great time. I recommend He's it. He's a great guy. Uh, but yeah, the, yeah. Do, you think, do you think that the Balkans scene was inspired by Killing Joke? Or did this somehow appear... Um, of its own volition. It's definitely an influence killing joke. In fact, the first band that went to the Balkans and sparked the punk scene in the Balkans as the Stranglers, they played there late 77. It was the first punk gig in the whole of the former Yugoslavia. And 4,000 people turned up and the whole music scene started at that point. I think we always, we, we sort of tend to forget sometimes in that period, 60s, 70s, 80s, just how in, influential British pop culture was, you know. You know, everyone in Europe was kind of looking for their cues from what was going on here. So when a British band would play, you know, British bands are playing Europe, and it'd be on the poster from the UK, you would be on the poster. 
you know, we were, I mean, we still do great stuff and we still do have a, a clout abroad, but that time is a big deal, you know. So a British punk rock band playing in Yugoslavia is almost the start of the revolution. So to that, their idea of punk was coming out of the Stranglers and the Stranglers' idea of punk, and we love the Stranglers, it's a genius band, is, is quite an... It's quite warped, isn't it? It's, it's kind of psychedelic and weird and odd and quite dark, actually. Do you think, do you think that's because of the weather's so bad in Britain? <laughs> yeah, it's fucking freezing here. You know, I think, uh, <laughs> I think the grey the great skies help. But the, thing, the weird thing is now that goth is really popular in warm places. The Mediterranean, Brazil or LA, there's massive goth scenes. So it's, kind of, it's kind of moved into a different climate. But I think it, it doesn't help, does it, that... It's funny when I was writing the book, you, you look at the political and social situation in Britain at the time, and you think the country's on the ver- verge of a nervous breakdown, everyone hates the government, and it's really corrupt, and it's really rubbish, and there's a threat of nuclear war. And you think, thank God those days are over. <laughs> yes. I wish. I wish, mate. I wish. <laughs> it never got, that's the tra- isn't that the tragedy you know, of punk? None of those songs are out of date. You know, if you were 15 and listened to any songs from that period, 76 to 82 you just think the lyrics are written last week <laughs> it's all it's, it's, it's and sadly just as topical as ever yeah um when you're when just going back to the sort of writing process a, a little bit i'm i'm curious as someone that say I've, I've i've started writing books but i've got a low concentration span but it's something that i'd like to do eventually one day what what um how, how are you how are you how are you planning it out and is, is there a is there a certain way to write? Do you do you need space to write, do you, or do you like to go into a coffee shop where there's a bit of a, a bustle in the background? Yeah, I, I write. I, I sit in the cafe all the time and write. So I, 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 from my home, I'm easily distracted. I think I'm in a cafe. I quite like it. You, you meet people, people walk past and sit down and say hello. But you know, that gives you your break, and it's up to. So it's not if you're at home, you kind of pot around quite a lot, don't you? I think you need discipline. It's really important to discipline yourself to make sure the thing gets done. Um, I think you need an idea, a structure of what the book's going to be. And, you, and editing is the key. So it's like, in a way, it's like mixing a record. It's, it's a really important part. And editing is really boring. So you have to go over the book about 100 times, reading it and reading it out loud. That's what I've learned over the years. What, what are you tempted to get? You know, obviously, you know yourself, when you're making a when you're making a, a membranes record or whatever, you get someone else in to master the record usually. Most bands will do that anyway. Did you did you feel um, tempted to get another editor in to have a look at it? Oh, no, I had a team of editors. I, I mean, there was one good thing about running a website. I, I work. I have a team of editors in my website, and a, a couple of them, two or three of them actually helped me edit the book, which is completely brilliant of them to do, you know. So we did it between ourselves like a little tag team. Which, <laughs> thank God, because it's a big book. If it's 50,000 words, I could have probably done that myself. But I think it's good to get somebody else to read it. Because a bit like a record, you have no idea if it's any good. You know, you, you could do it, you listen to it so much. Or like making a book, you read it so much, you think, is this actually any good? I can't, it doesn't make any sense. So when somebody else reads it, it's good to see if the book actually makes sense in somebody else's eyes. So I was sending it out to a few mates to read bits of it and chunks of it as well. Yeah. You, you kind of know it's 99% finished, but there's always little tweaks. I mean, I could probably sit there and tweak it for the rest of my life. You know, there's there's bound to be a couple of typos in there. There's bound to be something missed out. There's bound to be a couple of, like, glaring errors. That I probably, when I was writing something at four in the morning and I couldn't quite concentrate or something. But you know what? Every, every rock book's like that. You know, you can read you can read every single classic book about music. And music's quite a weird thing to write about. It's a very dense subject. And I, I imagine in probably most history books have lots of mistakes in them as well. You know, not lots, but, you know, a few handful of mistakes. And you just hope to pick them up on the next edition or whatever, you know. So I think, I think it's trying... I mean, I like to get the detail in. I like to get the detail right because I'm, like, I'm a perfectionist. But in the end, I think if you capture the spirit of the thing, that's kind of important as well. And I think that's the thing about music and culture writing. It's like you doing your radio show. You're, you're trying to capture the spirit of the records when you talk about them you know, what they mean to you. And that's what make, that's what's unique about music writing. It can be factual, it can be contextual, that's important. But it's also what it, um, what does it feel like to the author? That's what you want to know. You know, does it change your life? Does it move you? You know, all those things are only what you get from music writing. I tell that to my writers all the time on my site. I want to know what you felt about it, you know. Yeah, well, any tips you've got would be great because what I found, I mean, I, I grew up with the whole 
reading the NME when I was a child, and obviously the funniest stuff was the slagging things I didn't like. But then when you're actually in, involved in the music scene, you don't want to be writing nasty things. If I don't like something, I just don't talk about it. And I find it, c- it can be quite difficult. I, I think it's actually really pointless in the end. I mean, I think it's all right in the pub or online to go on about stuff, but I haven't got time to, you know, sit there and listen to a Coldplay album all day just to write, I don't like it at the end. I mean, no, <laughs> nobody cares what I think of Coldplay. I'm more interested in finding new bands. You know, I, I found a new band in, you're in Glasgow, aren't you? Yes. Where, where are you? I don't, I don't even, you know, Glasgow is a really good new band in Glasgow called Her Picture. Do you know them at all? Somebody sent me a... Sorry, called what, sorry? Her Picture. Her Picture? I've not heard of that. They've only done about five gigs. Yeah, somebody sent me some of their tracks. I was going, wow, this is amazing. And I'm an, I'm an enthusiast. I'm, I'm a fanzine writer. I'm a fan of music. So I know some critics think, you know, they're, they're there to, um, to tell the big groups how to make their records. <laughs> Yeah, I I rather replace I rather replace the crap culture with good culture. So I I rather go out of my dredge net and find good stuff and try and get it out there. You know, I think I think it's it's very easy in these times, especially the internet, to get drowned in negativity. And I I I, I, I want to be a positive force. I don't think you could change the world with negativity. I think you could change it with uh, positivity. Which is is, I tell you, that's hard. You know, because these aren't good times. But I think we can make the times better by by trying to make good stuff. You know. Absolutely. What, what I found actually... It's not very goth, though, is it? <laughs> it's not very goth. <laughs> well, when, when I used to write reviews, and I just found... I found the... Because obviously I do write... I think I've, I've learned how to write to a reasonable level um, for other things. But try to write about... It's really, I found it really difficult to write about how much I really enjoy something and still make it interesting. However... Oh, God. No, I find it really easy. The last few months, what what I've started doing yeah. is I've been writing the review and then I've been saying it out loud, like just some notes and then maybe doing some footage of the, the gig that I was at and then talking over it. And it's given me a whole new lease of life to it because I'm, I'm just expanding on it the way I would talk and I'm, I'm finding it, it's a really good way for me to review a band is just by speaking on it and talking about the night and I'm starting to get hold of it a bit better. I, I like that. I think that's perfectly valid. It's a multimedia way of doing it. That's very 2023. So you've got writing and audio and visual at the same time. That's a really cool way of doing it. Yeah, so just basically, so if I'm going to, you know, I went to see Emo and the Sniffers um, and at the bars, and I just basically get some footage of the crowd and the band and just loop it and just talk over about it. And I did that for them. Um, the Ian Brown one, because obviously Ian Brown had that controversial gig with, with no backing band, and I did it about that. But I thought that was totally brilliant, the way he did that. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it as well. I, I see quite a lot. I mean, you go see a, a lot of rappers do that. They just have the, you know, they just have the music, and they're just, it's just them on their own, on just going over the top. Yeah. So I don't understand why everyone freaked out about it so much. And, it, and, it's, and he is quite eccentric. Well, I think the people that freaked out are people that didn't go. <laughs> I know There's people that didn't go to the gig That didn't like it Because actually at the gig it, it was brilliant And then when you watch the phone footage back it, it doesn't sound brilliant But it was great on the night Yeah but nothing ever sounds good on phone footage I mean I, actually I, I only saw on YouTube I was away when he did Manchester I thought he sounded really good I think the whole thing about Ian Brown Because he's iconic He's an icon He doesn't actually need the bands I mean he could just walk on stage And just do nothing And the crowd were like You know Most people get into it but he actually suits his, his voice, you know, although people go on about his voice all the time, but without guitars getting in the way, it's that his voice sounds good, you know, because it's just him and the beats and a little bit of music in the background. And it's really well mixed, wasn't it? I mean, whoever did the music for those live shows, they remixed the tracks to make them really pumping, didn't they? And I, I respect him for, 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 for taking that risk and the experimental, experimentalism of it as well. You know, it's, it's not just... A bunch of blokes playing guitars. It's 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 original, isn't it? it? It shocks people. You know, it's hard to do nowadays, isn't it? Well, speaking of that, speaking on that uh, note, actually, um, I think I've seen you commenting on this. Uh, some people were shocked uh, at the Brit Awards for for this. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, but I don't have a problem with that. The only problem I, I don't think he's got the charisma to pull it off. But I totally support him for trying. You know, I don't see why. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird, like, you know, I grew up with glam rock, you know, then punk and that. 
And a lot of people were complaining about him dressing like that were people that grew up with punk and glam. I was thinking, well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? You know, people, some people say, I'm not shocked by anything. And they get shocked by everything. <laughs> <laughs> the anti-snowflakes, snowflakes. <laughs> and it, it was weird because it's obviously it's fine to be, it's, it's obviously it's funny. I mean, I'm assuming... People say he's, trying, he's just an attention seeker. Well, he's a pop star. That's his job. <laughs> it's a red carpet yeah, people I mean, taking your picture I don't know the guy well <laughs> enough to know if he was joking but I'm assuming he was trolling the, the audience that that would hate it and it, it was quite when you see the comments and you see the actual angry reacts people got angry <laughs> I know, so and these are people like you said who, who grew up in glam and punk and they're upset they're actually <laughs> upset by it I know I mean the, the, very, wor- the very worst reaction you should have is you just don't care <laughs> You know, I don't understand why yeah. it annoys you. It's, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? You know, whether it looks cool or not, it's a completely different matter, isn't it? But I think power to him for trying, you know, and power to him for, for, for messing with the whole thing. I mean, that's what pop culture is kind of, one of the things I always really liked about it. It was quite shocking and cool. I mean, growing up watching Top of the Pops in the 70s, I mean, Dave Hill from Slade, he wore, wore way worse outfits than that. But now you look at them and you think, think oh they're great aren't they you know <laughs> that's the real element of madness what's, what's that Mick Jagger quote that great Mick Jagger quote to achieve total performance you have to have a level of madness or something I think it's something like that it's a great quote really there has to be something you know a little like not you don't want mundane do you you know I mean even bands are dressed down like Oasis is, is kind of dressed down you know compared to that there's a level of madness and the Liam is quite unpredictable you know there's a level of intensity and madness to them you know which is which is which is great you know that does make great great performance doesn't it well paul and lou have actually commented that they would love to hear your opinion on coldplay coldplay there's a few coldplay singles i think are actually all right singles but if i never heard them again it wouldn't really bother me (laughs) (laughs) i mean i you have to say he is a he is a pop craftsman he can write a great pop song, you know, he knows all the little tricks. I never, I don't know what the tricks are, you know. <laughs> I wish I knew what they were. <laughs> yeah. I just do music and have to write books. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 was, I was young when the first album came out, but I liked the first album and it's not, you know, you get, you, you, I'll, I'll get a lot of abuse for that, but the first album was good. I was young, to be fair. It's heartfelt, isn't it? And I, he's a good guy as well. He seems like a good guy. My mates are actually his road crew. They got roadies in when they started. We were in a band that I knew. And when they got massive, the record label said, you have to get a proper road crew now. He said, no, these guys are with us from the start. And they still work for him now. So they stayed touring around the world doing stadiums. And they, they look after everybody. You know, so that, and all that, on, that, on a human level, they, they seem like good people. Do I want to listen to all their albums tonight when I go home? No. <laughs> no, but you also not going to waste your time writing a review about how you dislike the album because you know you're going to dislike it. So why be negative? No, I've got a question from Christopher. Hello, Christopher. Who says, "What's your thoughts on goth early two thousands getting blamed for violence? For example, Columbine. Even Marshall Mathers backed up Marlon Manson because he got blamed for Columbine. What's your thoughts on that? It was almost like a a millennium satanic panic going on." <laughs> Satanic Panic, that's a great name for a band, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's ridiculous, isn't it? Not, there always has to be a folk devil, isn't there? You have, to, they always, you have to blame everybody apart from what the problem is in the first place. You know, easy access to guns, uh, parents who don't give their uh, kids love and attention, uh, a society on the verge of a nervous breakdown, which is like America, a society where... Um, men are meant to be like really macho you know so and then just leaving these kind of disillusioned kids left leaving to rot really and all that anger building up and then then it all explodes and then they blame like a pop star you know i mean of course um culture influences things everything influences everything else but that it's not it doesn't influence people to go and shoot somebody and it's proven in the end what it that it wasn't marilyn manson but then, 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 he, then he, he got away with that one. Then in the end, he just he, he completely sort of blotted his own copybook, didn't he? Because he turned out to be a completely awful person himself, didn't he? <laughs> which, yeah. which surprising. No, no. But I, I mean, I read his book and I thought, oh God, is, that, is he made half of this up? That sounds repulsive. You know the way he's acting on the road. <laughs> but then rock and roll is full, full of probably horrible, slimy people for years, isn't it? But it doesn't make you want to go and shoot somebody, does it? You know, so it's a very easy thing to blame. You know, uh, the number one folk devil of the time in the country, wasn't it? You know, 
I mean, I'd be like blaming Grimm's fairy tales, which are full of like, or the Bible. The Bible's full of people killing each other, isn't it? I mean, well, in the end, the Bible ends up with the, uh, the complete destruction of the planet Earth, doesn't it? So we're going to blame that for every single war. Well, we could actually. Epi has got a question for you. He's asking, can I ask where you at? Where's John walking about? Uh, my Gate in Manchester. Do you know Manchester at all? Just by the uh, the massive new towers at the bottom of Deansgate. Yeah. yeah. So uh, not that far from where the Hacienda used to be. Are you nearby? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got... I'll, I'll put a link in the comments because to the last time John was on the show, it was daytime and we got a full tour, but it's a bit dark tonight. Uh, we've got a question from my I I've seen things. I think that's Kenny John, my pal, the late great Big Jake from Alabama Three, always talked about you and told me a story about you, him, Bill Drummond, Marquis Smith, one night in a pub. Love the book. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, of course I know all those guys. You know, Bill, Bill Drummond's an amazing guy. Well, Jake's amazing as well, and he, yeah, he's, he's far smarter than he lets on. <laughs> he's like super intelligent. Oh, absolutely, Jake. Jake was a very, very smart guy. And Bill Drummond's a genius, you know, he's just one of those people, you know, you get those people who understand pop culture and how it works and how you can deconstruct it and put it back together again and conceptualist, like an artist, proper artist, you know. I mean, he doesn't, he can't play anything, he can't, he can't make music, but he creates, situationists create situations where things happen, you know, like Tony Wilson was, you know, those kind of people, that, that those people fascinate me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just going to give a wee shout to the, the documentary. If everyone's not seen it, is uh, "Who Killed the KLF," is out now on Now TV. I watched it on Now TV, and um, I think it's on other things as well. But uh, if you, if you're not aware, "Who Killed the KLF," it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing um, when you deconstruct culture. Yeah, you can, like you know, deconstructing pop culture and then putting it back again, and also making it really feel like it means something. You know, I think KLF is quite a brilliant construction wasn't it and then on top of that they ended up making these brilliant pop records and having massive hits around the world i mean that that's, that should have just been some like weird cult bands but they had top 20 hits in america that's 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 real genius isn't it <laughs> and uh we had john higgs on the show last year and um, who did the great book um the band who burned a million pounds uh the klf book which is what I, I listen to as an audio book, and it's one of the best audio books I've ever heard, ever. A lot of the time, when I try to listen to audio books, because I don't have enough time to read books as much as I'd like, an audio book's a good way to sort of do it on when I'm travelling about or cycling. And, but a lot of the time, it's let down by a narrator who is just too smug or too posh, or is not, you know, it just it, it ruins the book for me. But uh, John Higgs is, such, is, is so good at, at the narrator side of things. And the book, what a story. Uh, and I'd recommend the documentary. Check that out first if you like that, which I'm sure you will. Then then check out the book by John Higgs. Uh, what about your, your own? Are you, are, you, are you narrating an audiobook version of this book? Yes, there's a plan to do that, yeah. It's, it will take me about two weeks to do it because it's such a big book. Yeah, because you can't... I mean, I actually did a bit of an audiobook for somebody else the other week. And it's, it takes longer than you think. It's, you think you could just read it straight through, but of course, as you're reading, uh, after about 10 minutes, you start to, your concentration goes a bit, and you trip over a word. So you have to sort of stop and start again. So it's a lot of messing about. But um, I'm definitely going to do it. But this, yeah, we're just trying to get it set up at the moment to go and do it. Well, a shout out to um, Murfamish, who will probably be mastering this audio to make it sound a bit better for, the, for an audio release. And he does he does uh, audio book recordings, so I I've got quite a good insight into how he deals with it. So if anyone's wanting to do audio book recordings or yourself, John, if you happen to be in Edinburgh, it's just, it's just near the airport. It's at soundsound.co.uk, and he does a great job on it. And we just had um, Dan McGarvey; he's just recorded his audio book as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite a thing now. Everybody does them, don't they? Yeah. I'm coming up to Scotland to do a couple of events for this book. So I'll be in Glasgow in, um, in April. I'll be in Mono in Glasgow. And I'll be in Edinburgh. Where about what date? Uh, I can't remember the top of my head. I think it was... It's a Wednesday and it's about April 12th-ish. I can't remember exactly. Is it on your, is it on your page yet? 
I'm going to put it up once we've got it all confirmed because we're just trying to get. Yeah. He's a, he's a really cool guest. We're just waiting to, wait to see if he's around or not. And if we could do it, then we're going to make it to a whole night. You know, so we'll, we'll do the book thing and a bit of a signing thing, and then we'll just play a load of records and have some really good fun. Yeah. Amazing. And Mono's a good good venue for it as well. Oh, it's great, isn't it? I mean, Glasgow's got loads of really good stuff now, isn't it? Loads of good little spaces and little cafes and stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 Glasgow's like Manchester's like, um, it's like it's little twin, isn't it? Like defiant cities, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we did, we, we did quite a lot of gigs with the Moods where they'd come up to Glasgow and we'd go down to play Manchester. And, oh, yeah. And yeah it has guys. a very Glasgow yeah. feel. Very friendly, but dangerous as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's really nice to <laughs> you, but you definitely could get into a fight if you were looking for one. <laughs> but I'm also very arty, and, um, but not poncy. I, I actually yeah. think really friendly as well. I think I think in Glasgow you can go in a really rough pub, and even if you're English, right, you go in a really rough pub, and everyone just looks after you. You know, so if you yeah. go in doing the big I am, then you deserve to get slacked. But if you just go in, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <people, laughs> just sit in the corner, everyone goes, "Yeah, you're right, mate," and all that kind of thing. That's happened to me loads in Glasgow, going kind of going uh, off the curve a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, oh let's well, go well, in here let's see. what's this place like <laughs> where did you end up can you remember the name of the pubs can you remember where you ended up no I, I remember it was about there about three years ago and I remember just going on the edge of the centre just going in some re- I like those kind of really mad saloons that you don't really get in England I mean I don't drink I'm just fascinated by them you know you, these places that don't seem to have any windows you just go in there, you think what's, what's actually in there you know <laughs> you kind of go in and you get these kind of mad conversations which are really great yeah Manchester bands is there anyone uh, anything anything new coming out of Manchester that we should be checking out there's a really great um, punk crime thing this this woman called Wanda O-N-E-D-A she's made she's got a debut single out that's really ace you know so it's kind of it's quite percussive and she just does her thing over the top so it might it might be something that people can connect to who don't normally listen to that kind of music as well, you know. Um, there's a whole, I mean, there's loads of bands. So is that, sorry, W, Wanda, W, W-O-N-D-A, did you say? Wanda? Oh, O-N-E-D-A. O-N-E-D-A, oh, yeah. Wanda, got you, got you, man. Yeah, 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 it's like a little pun, yeah. Yeah, cool, I've got that lined up, that sounds good. Sounds up my street. Yeah. And uh, what about what about membrane stuff? Uh, just needs to get around to getting working on the next album. We've got a pile of songs. Just need to finish them off, really. Yeah. Any gigs coming up? I'm so busy with the book. Um, some festivals, and we did a lot of gigging last year. So we toured Europe with the Stranglers, and then we did um, the Chameleons tour as well. So we were we're in, up in Scotland last year. It wasn't that long ago. And then we did that European tour, the Stranglers, which is great as well. So we got kind of gigged out in the end. And also, I had the worst flu on that tour. God, it was hideous. <laughs> it's worse than having COVID. When I had COVID, I didn't have any symptoms. I wasn't even ill. <laughs> did, did, oh, did you, you got COVID, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad one? I, I got it. And I, I didn't even know I had it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jigsaw Tiger saying Mono's great Big Joni in there was superb I was at that gig as well uh, Big Joni did great um, that was in Mono yeah it's a great place I mean those places are so valuable aren't they in the culture you know that's that's what keeps the whole thing going isn't it those, those shops where run by people who are really into music you know you're going to buy one record and come out with another ten isn't it you know and, and also go, go, the, the louder the more platform we, we kind of briefly touched on that earlier on with the, the music reviews and stuff I mean, and that's that's really important because I, I think I told you the last time I was on. It's like when we, as an independent band, we unsigned with no budget. We got a nine out of ten on your website, and that just gave us a bit of credibility. That because um, it's just impossible to try and get any Rolling Stone or Pitchfork. You know, I mean, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's you just need to get a bit lucky with the, your timing and stuff like that. Maybe in a slow news day, you might break through, but it can be quite difficult. Uh, it's difficult. I mean, I, I think the weird thing about Pitchfork is it's, it's written by people no one's ever heard of, which I mean is fair enough, isn't it? You know, but it means you can't 
you can't get hold of them. You don't know who they are, do you? It's like a mystery, isn't it? Whereas, whereas my side, we're all quite easy to get hold of. You know, you just go on Facebook and find us, you know. We're, we're at gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually go to the gigs. But Pitchfork, to me, seems like this kind of mystery thing, you know. It's like, um, I look at all the people ride for it and think, who are you? I, 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 don't, I don't get the context of it at all, you know. I mean, it's, it's well written, but it's, it doesn't feel like part of the culture or the world that I live in at all, you know. But, but it's good, I mean, it's good that the, the writer gave you 9 out of 10 because I think it's very key that. I think um, a band that's on the outside, I think the most important thing you can ever get in a band is your first review where somebody's really encouraging, you know, because like I said before by the book, you don't even know if it's any good or not until somebody else says so, do you? So the first time somebody actually appreciates what you're doing, it, it gives you a context of what you're doing as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. It was it was really important, and 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 you could, and, and you know uh, an appreciation, and you could take quotes out of it, and go to other people and, and try and get more press. And I think it's, it's an important part of the process, isn't it? You know, because everybody writes my site is a fan, you know. So that's what we try and do. We try and encourage things. I think as a writer, you're not just doing reviews. You're trying to make things happen. You know, you, you're willing these bands on to get somewhere and change the culture and make it better, aren't you? That's, you know, it's, you could go and review the gig and also you can get in touch with the band and say, why don't you speak to this person over here? They, they could put your record out or they could give you a gig here or you could get one. So we kind of like, we, we do a lot of behind the scenes stuff and help people as well, connecting people up. I think that's about, to me, a modern music writer is not just a writer writing reviews. You know, I'm, I'm sure you do this all the time yourself. You say, why don't you play with that band and try and make things, connect things, you know, uh, make things happen, prodding your way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just hear, some, sometimes you can't you can't do it with every band, but sometimes you just hear a band, like, like this Winder that you've talked about, I've not heard that yet, but I might listen to that after the show and go, that sounds similar to something that someone else is trying to do from a Glasgow perspective. Why don't you know they could maybe do a gig swap? They could maybe help each other. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's just there's definitely there's little scenes brewing, and it's it's such an interesting time we're living in. It's it's obviously harder and harder for for artists to break out properly, but to, it's so many pockets of interesting scenes happening, and lots of cool weird stuff going on. So it's great to every city's got it going on. Oh, completely. So it's great to connect people and tend to the grassroots. Uh, first review is very important for support, especially if you're DIY act. So much of your own time, effort and love has been put into your project. That's Jigsaw Tiger, by the way. I'll definitely send you her tunes over. She's fantastic. Um, Angela wants to say, really enjoyed your gig in Glasgow supporting the chameleons. You were awesome. Oh, thank, thank you, Angela. It's a good night, that. Met, I mean, we met loads of good people. You know, of course you do. It's Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to keep you too long, man, because we've got another show at nine o'clock. Because we've got, um, I don't know if you know Captain Barrett, that he was the music programmer for Boomtown Fair for um, the last oh, well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. ten years. So he's brilliant. He's got a very eclectic it's, it's tunes, hip hop, dub, drum and bass, bashment, just about everything. That sounds good. Nine o'clock. He's in the world in front of a live Glasgow audience from nine o'clock to half ten. So if you're wanting some tunes, please do join us for that. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on is Rebellion Music Festival. Have you got a lineup out there? I've seen a couple of names mentioned uh, for 2023. Well, I, I don't put Rebellion on. I just you got the damned. I, I mean, Rebellion. I just do. I sometimes play Rebellion. I suggest bands for them to put on, and I do lots of in yeah. conversations there. That's my kind of part of Rebellion. Yeah, it's, it's Darren and Jenny that put me on. It's, it's an amazing festival, isn't it? They made it work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible festival. I've never been before, but I know I thought it was amazing to see. The reason I, I brought Rebellion up was to see if he's caught, managed he, to catch Pete and Diesel. Oh no! Yeah, but I know you mean. I think the, I think what's great about Rebellion is it. It's, I was surprised that they played. I was surprised that they played a, a punk festival and they got such a good response because obviously it's a bit different from your typical punk music. Because really, really, but I mean, I know some punks just like punk. Which fair enough. It's up to you what you like. But most punks are music fans who, like me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm punk, changed my life. But I like lots of music, you know, I like lots of types of music. And I'm really open-minded to music. So Rebellion is a lot of people like me there who like a lot of different stuff, you know. I mean, don't forget that reggae is a really important thing, scene in punk. So 
So when Bob Dylan played last year, initially I think they, everyone thought he just played in a small room to, to the people like Weird Stuff. He ended up doing... On, on, they moved him up to the main stage at one in the morning. He was absolutely rammed. You know, he's he's like King of Rebellion now. I've seen the photographs. You know, so it's, it's amazing. I mean, his record, his, his record's great, but he's moved... He's, he's, he's like he's, now his live shows like that record on steroids. You know, he's gone through the roof. You know, he sounds amazing now. He's going to be, he's going to be huge, which he should be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it shows that people's t- taste is way more eclectic. You know, if you've got the vibe of punk, you don't need to have all the uh, sounds. You know what I mean? It's there's nothing very punk about. I mean, Bob Dylan has a punk edge to what he does, but but um, it's not guitar, bass, and drums. I mean, yeah, he's got drums, but it's not like yeah four fours. You know. So you kind of punk and grime and mix it together, and the, and the punks like it. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard, as soon as I heard we live here, I was like, this is, this is punk, but it's completely unique and unique sound that I've never heard. Yeah, you know, you know what? It's just good. I seen the photos at Rebellion as well. It's good. You, you know, it's good straight instantly. Yeah, it's just good. It's defiant. It's yeah, yeah. It's the first time I heard him. Everyone got into him because he had the Crass T-shirt, which is what a cool thing to do. You know, it's. So like Rebellion's like that. So it has a core of second wave punk bands. Great. All those bands should get a festival gig every year. But it also stretches the uh, fabric as far as it can. You know, I'd love to get Sleeper Monster on there. I think it'd be great. But I think they're probably too big now. I know they'd like to play it at some point because, <laughs> well, Jason, I've seen Monster loves second wave punk, doesn't he? It's, yeah. it's one of the type, it's one of the music he's into, you know. Well, I've got a band I'm going to send you. We actually just, I had a show just before you. I was talking to Iona, who were trying to save the governed docks that are about to get gentrified, and I played a song, which I think you'll really like. It's punk, Sleaford Mods, Glaswegian. It's about everything. And oh, that's, that sounds good. They're, they're, they just came, they came out of the post-COVID, and they're smashing it, man. They've only played a, a bit, maybe a handful of gigs, but they're crazy. Oh, yeah, definitely sound that sounds good. I'll, I'll send you a link to that, man. I was in Govan. Uh, I was in Govan last year, actually. I was staying... Staying there during uh, COP26, somebody had a flat there staying, so so I've got to know Govan quite well. Oh, amazing, man. I, 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 put, I put in Shudra the Gun. I put in a couple of gigs for the COP26 coalition. Right. Which is, uh, uh, with Shudra the Gun and a, and a few good bands on it. Uh, I've got a question. I've got final questions, guys, before we go. April at Mono sounds good, says Paul. Angela says, will your book be available in April at Mono? Uh, yeah, it'd be, will it be available in April? Yes. Uh, if you want it now, you can get it in pre-order. If you go to Membranes Bandcamp, there's like a little link for the book, so you can get it now. Uh, then, then you'll get it posted out in three weeks. We'll have some copies in three weeks. Yeah. I've got the Bandcamp link here. I'll just post it in the comments. It's in the bio for anyone watching this on YouTube. If you're watching it on Facebook, Thanks. Twitch or Twitter tonight, then stop doing that and watch this show on YouTube because it sounds better and it looks better on YouTube. <laughs> if you're watching YouTube, remember to hit the like and subscribe button. Um, this is the link here. Go and order John's book. I'm excited to read it, mate. I'm going to put a wee order in tonight myself. Excellent. And um, thank you very much. Good luck with the book. Thanks for your time. And I'll see you when you get to Glasgow in April. I got you. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, keep touch about that. One, I'll see everybody there. One, two, one, two. Let's, Yo, let's this is Charlie Tuna from Jurassic Five Live time. and Direct Thanks. here in Glasgow, Scotland, and you call that radio? <laughs> you call that radio.